Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I'm finally back in the pulpit after two weeks of being off. I told Don this morning I'm probably going to be a little rusty, and, and um, I'm going to give you everything I've got this morning after being out for two weeks now. Um, we're back in the Gospel of Luke, and it was timely as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, we come to this passage of Scripture today that tells us Jesus' attitude toward children. And so as I've announced last week, and we've sent it out on Facebook and also through email, uh, today I'm going to lay forth for you as a church family where we as the elders stand on the whole issue of the sanctity of human life, the issue of abortion. Um, the Supreme Court could render a ruling any day now that could possibly overturn Roe versus Wade. They would send it back to the states. But as Rachel said earlier, the issue's not over. If Roe v. Wade gets overturned, it's just going to mean that things are going to get amped up even more. Because as Christians and as Bible-believing churches, we need to have a solid grasp on the issue. What does the Bible say about this? Because we are going to receive pressure from the culture. We are going to receive attacks from the secular world that stands opposed to God's truth. So, in your Bibles, let's just read this wonderful passage of Scripture about how Jesus treated the little children. Luke 18, starting in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now we know that Luke is a doctor, and he uses a very interesting Greek word there in verse 15 for infants. It's unique to Luke. They were bringing infants. Now that word can mean an infant like a newborn baby, but that word can also mean a fetus, an unborn child. Where else has Luke used that same Greek word to refer to a baby? Well, when Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist leapt in her womb. Luke 1.41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby leapt in her womb. That's the same Greek word. The infant the unborn child, the fetus, leapt in the womb. So Luke is drawing our attention to show us that whether the baby is in the womb or whether the baby is born, it is of value before our Lord. And we see Jesus' attitude towards children. The disciples were rebuking the people for bringing these infants, bringing these little babies to Jesus. And the disciples like, get these crying babies out of here. And Jesus says, stop. He rebuked them. He says, don't hinder the children. Don't prevent the little babies from coming. Don't stop 
the babies from coming. And then Jesus takes some, the, the babies in his arms and he blesses. And I don't, I don't picture Jesus just doing like a standard bless you. I picture Jesus picking up each one of those babies individually and holding that baby in his arms and blessing that baby. Now just a side note, we've been blessed here at Emmanuel with a lot of babies recently. So let me just say something, okay? As your pastor, crying babies don't bother me. Okay, I have a special needs son. I've grown up 22 years. Sounds don't bother me. So it's a sign of health to have crying babies in a church family. So church family, it's okay to have crying babies. It's a sign of health. And so let the little children come because we've got a lot of babies both on the way and here already. So that's Luke. That's kind of the introduction. Let the little children come. That's an introduction. But let's just dive into the issue. What do we as the elders of Emmanuel Baptist Church, where do we stand on the issue of the sanctity of human life and the issue of abortion? So here's where we're going this morning. Let me just kind of lay out the groundwork of where we're going. First, I'm going to give two foundational statements that are going to frame this topic. And then secondly, I'm going to give three biblical truths that are going to lead to a logical and theological conclusion. And then third, we're going to talk about practical application. How can we be practically living out and supporting the pro-life movement and be active in ending abortion? So here's, here's the first part, the foundation. Now, these are, these are things I know you know, but we're going to go over them anyway. Foundation number one, God's inspired word is the only source of absolute truth. That, that's the foundation for everything that we do as a church is God's inerrant, inspired word. We find out in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's our standard. It's our authority. It is God-breathed absolute truth. And in foundation number two, the moral law of God, as revealed in the Ten Commandments, is the objective standard for right and wrong. And it's also the standard by which we'll be judged on the final day. Russell read this earlier during our time of confession, but let's just look at it again. Hebrews 4, 12-13. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We will give an account in how we obeyed this word. And John defines sin as breaking the law or as lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So sin is breaking the law, God's Ten Commandments. Now, I know that you all know this, but I can't assume it. With so many new people coming to Emmanuel, the, the culture in which we live today is so crazy, so chaotic, so secular, so godless that we are, it's the air that we breathe. 
Whether we know it or not, whether we can help it or not, you walk out those doors, you are in a world that's going to attack the truth of God's word. And so, living in a godless culture, I can't assume that we're all on the same page. So we have to set those foundations. God's absolute standard is his written word from Genesis to maps, as I always say. Even though the maps aren't inspired. Genesis to Revelation. Now, with those two foundations... The authority of God's word, the, the reality of the Ten Commandments is breaking God's law and the absolute standard of, of right and wrong. Let's explore three biblical truths about the sanctity of human life. Here's the first. Human life begins at conception. Psalm 139, 13-16. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made and the secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, you know what's amazing to me? King David wrote this thousands of years ago before ultrasounds and sonograms and all this type of science that we have. Somehow the Holy Spirit gave him insight into the uniqueness and the power of what happens at conception. It says, God formed David's inward parts. You go back to the original Hebrew, and that that word formed almost conveys the idea of ownership. Because God formed us, he owns us. He's sovereignly in control of us. We see the same word in Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you, God formed us in the womb. And there's some other descriptions that are used here. It says that David was knitted together in his mother's womb, knitted. God is intricately creating David. He's fearfully and wonderfully made. And that word fearfully and wonderfully made, it's interesting. When you go back and you read the original Hebrew text, it really means unique and individual. Each one of us from the moment of conception, is uniquely, fearfully, specially made by a sovereign God. We're intricately woven. Talks about God being this master weaver, doing this intricate working, this masterpiece. Ecclesiastes 11.5 As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We, we really don't know how it all works. It's the miracle of God's intricate design. Now you may say, when David was knit together in the depths of the earth, what, what is it, what's he talking about, the depths of the earth? That's a metaphor. It's poetic language. It's a metaphor for the mother's womb, that which is hidden out of sight. Now, back during David's time, and even today, how do you know a lady's pregnant? belly keeps getting bigger and bigger but you don't see what's going on back then you didn't have sonograms or or ultrasounds you didn't see what was going on and so David talks about in the depths in that in that hidden place in the, 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 the mother's womb 
the precious baby being knit together. And then it's interesting in verse 16, the word unformed substance, you created my unformed substance, literally means embryo or fetus. Again, before the wonders of ultrasounds and sonograms, thousands of years ago, King David understood that life begins at conception under the sovereign, detail, creative work of Almighty God. Job 31, 15. Did he not who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Didn't, and Job's arguing with his friends here. But he's talking about God made him in the womb. And then Isaiah 44, 1 through 2. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I've chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Now, the Bible is very clear that God intricately, sovereignly weaves us together in our mother's womb at the point of conception. The Bible is very clear on that. And the Bible is our only source of infallible truth. But do you realize that leading biology textbooks teach the same thing? There's a lot of books on embryology. Two of the leading embryology textbooks affirm this, that they teach in colleges, they teach in, in medical school. One's called The Developing Human, Clinically Oriented Embryology. Now, I probably won't go read this textbook, but maybe you read that when you were in medical school. Developing Human, Critically, Clinically Oriented Embryology. Here's what it says, quote, Human development begins at fertilization when a male sperm unites with the female ovum to form a single cell, a zygote. This highly specialized cell marked the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. That's in a secular textbook. That's affirming what the Bible teaches. Another leading textbook says this, quote, The development of a human begins with fertilization, a process by which the sperm from the male and the ovum from the female unit to give rise to a new organism, the zygote. So the Bible affirms it. Biology affirms it because biology just follows God's sovereign design that human life begins at conception. And so this is merely a recognition that God is sovereign over every single human being that's conceived. Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I want you to think about that. All things were created for him. For him. Through him and for him. All things were created created. So that's truth number one. Human life begins at conception. Here's truth number two. All humans, born or preborn, are created in the image of God. All humans, born or preborn, are created in the image of God. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are created in the image of God, born or preborn. If life begins at conception, 
We are created in the image of God at the point of conception. James kind of talks about taming the tongue and how we can, can bicker and argue. And in James 3, 8 and 9, he says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Okay, so if every single person, born or unborn, from the point of conception, is created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, every single human, born or pre-born, has equal worth and value. This means that those with I'm going to have to get through this, this part. Those with mental or physical handicaps such as my son, Zachary. I'm very strong on this. We, didn't, we found out when Zachary was 11 months old he was already born, 11 months old, that he had a rare chromosome disorder. There's only 300 known cases in the world of what Zachary has. Causes severe autism, causes epilepsy, causes nonverbal behavior. He's now 22, it's hard to believe. But I am sure, had that been detected while Don was still pregnant, we would have been counseled probably to get an abortion or to end the pregnancy because you don't want to have the burden of having a handicapped child be brought into the world. And to be honest, that type of attitude sickens me because Zachary is fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has sovereignly given him to us as our son. And he's a blessing Never a nuisance, never an accident. I'm sorry, I didn't want to get emotional this morning, but we love our son, and he's fearfully and wonderfully made. It also means that what the world thinks have no potential to contribute to society. You often hear pro-abortion people say things like this, what kind of life do you want to bring a handicapped baby into the world with? What kind of life are you going to have if you, if you have a handicapped child? Or you hear things like, children are expensive. The mom's already stretched thin. She's already got other kids to take care of. Why do you want to bring another child in the world to add to the problems? The unselfish thing for you to do, mom, for the sake of you, for the sake of not bringing a, a special needs child in the world or bringing another child, the best thing you can do, mom, is to go ahead and have an abortion. That's the unselfish thing to do. That's what you hear the world say. Now, I'm going to address something that's even more controversial. And there, there may be some pushback on this. But as I said, the elders have read my sermon before I've given it, and we're all in agreement upon this. Regardless of how an unborn baby was conceived, he or she has value, meaning rape or incest. Let me be very clear where we stand as elders. We do not believe that rape or incest are legitimate reasons to ever have an abortion. Now let me address the objection here because some of you may have problems with this. 
what you're assuming is that if a baby was conceived in a rape or an incest, it has less value than a baby that was conceived under normal circumstances. And thus, it's, indisp- it's dispensable. A child conceived through both rape and incest has the same worth as every other child that's conceived. If you believe, if, you, if you're going to be consistent, if you believe human life begins at conception, that's a human life. And all people, born or unborn, are created in the image of God. There's no difference between a baby that was conceived by a happily married couple versus a baby that was conceived by rape or incest. If you believe rape is wrong, what is rape? Rape is violating the body of another person and committing a sin or a crime against them. That's what rape is. If you believe rape is wrong, what's worse than rape? Killing the life of an unborn baby. That's violating somebody else's body. So if someone objects to rape and you want to be consistent, you also have to oppose the killing of an unborn child since that too is a violation of another person's body. But think about it this way. Should the innocent child pay for the sins of the father? Would not the rapist or the perpetrator suffer the penalties of the law for the crime that he committed as opposed to the innocent baby suffering for the crimes of the father? Abortion should be punished. Uh, Abortion punishes the innocent baby instead of the true criminal, the rapist. Okay, so let's retrace our steps. Human life begins at conception. The Bible teaches it. The Bible also teaches that all people, born or unborn, are created in the image of God and have value, have dignity, have worth, regardless of how they were, how, how they were conceived or, or, or if they have a handicap or, or if they can contribute to society. And so here's the third truth. The taking of an innocent human life, born or preborn, is murder. The taking of an innocent human life, born or preborn, is murder. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And then you have from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. I don't have to give much of an exposition on that. It's pretty self-evident. You shall not murder. And then Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. So those are three biblical truths. Life begins at conception. All humans born and unborn are created in the image of God. And to kill an innocent life, born or unborn, is murder. So it leads to a logical and a theological conclusion. What's the logical and theological conclusion? Therefore, abortion in all cases is murder. Abortion in all cases is murder. It's interesting when you go back and you read some of the reformers, even back in the day. John Calvin said this, The fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being and it is almost a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy a monstrous crime john calvin calls abortion now sometimes you go through the book of exodus and you read these laws and you come upon a law and you're like that's a weird law i never saw that in the bible before 
Sometimes the Old Testament laws give us some insight into human life. Exodus 21, 22 through 24, says this. When men strive together, so, so guys are out there fighting, and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose upon him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Here's the point. In ancient Israel, if you accidentally killed an unborn baby by two men fighting, you got the death penalty. The same penalty you would have if you had killed the mom who was alive. Now, if the child survived, you still had to pay a stiff fine that the judges had determined that you would pay. But this verse is very important because it tells us, biblically, that the unborn fetus has equal protection under the law than the mom, that the same protection that the mom has. So whether the baby has not been born yet, or whether the baby is a minute old, or whether the mom is 25 years old, all humans have equal protection under the law according to the Scriptures. And this is a good case for our legal system. For doctors or medical professionals who perform abortions, let me just lay my cards on the table. I think they should be guilty of murder. I think they should be tried in a court of law, just like any person who has committed murder, and they should go through the, the criminal justice system and have a trial. Now, we've seen these three biblical truths that lead to a conclusion. Abortion, in all cases, is murder. But I want you to know where Emmanuel's statement of faith is on this. Back in 2018, we adopted a, an updated statement of faith, and there are two articles from our statement of faith, Article 12 from the family says this, children from the moment of conception are a blessing and heritage from the Lord. Children from the moment of conception. So our statement of faith believes that human life begins at conception. So that's the theological point. But then Article 13 of our statement of faith says this, the Christian and the social order, we should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. This speaks about more how we should get involved in speaking up for the unborn. Last summer in Nashville, I'm going tomorrow to the Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim. Last year in Nashville, a, a resolution was not brought to the floor. It is the most pro-life resolution Southern Baptists have ever adopted, and it wasn't going to see the light of day. The resolutions committee was not going to bring it out to the floor. So somebody stood up that wrote the resolution and said, can we at least discuss this and vote on this? And so it came to the floor. And it is the most pro-life, anti-abortion bill that the Southern Baptist messengers had ever approved. So they, they approved it last year. And so we as elders highly believe that this is a great statement. And so after the service on the, the table out there, you can get a copy of this resolution because I think it... Clear, clearly says where at least the Southern Baptist messengers were, but also it's a great statement that we as elders believe um, we should give consideration to. Now, let's talk about some practical issues, practical application. How can we faithfully uphold the sanctity of human life? How can we get involved? 
So let's talk about three things here. First, abortion is a gospel issue. And you say, what do you mean it's a gospel issue? What's our ultimate goal as a church and believers? It's to obey the Great Commission. Would you not agree that our goal as a church is to obey the Great Commission? Okay, let, let's just be reminded. What's the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can unpack this verse for a whole month of Sundays, but let's just say this. Jesus has all authority. He is sovereign over the Supreme Court. He's sovereign over America. He's sovereign over all. And so everything that we do as a church is to submit ourselves to the authority of Christ. And what does Jesus tell us to do in the Great Commission? Yeah, we're to go make disciples. We're to go baptize. But do you notice what Jesus also says? Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Does not the Bible teach us everything that Jesus has commanded? So part of teaching people everything that Jesus has commanded means that we can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to look at, what parts of the Bible we want to we hold to. We've got to believe all of it. We've got to submit to all of it. And I've just shown you biblically that the Bible teaches on these issues. And so part of our responsibility as Christians, part of our responsibility as a church is in, in disciple-making, in preaching the gospel, in obeying the Great Commission, is to teach believers everything that Christ commanded. In other words, we need to have a bold prophetic voice that clearly states in the public square what the Bible says. There is no time to be silent. We shouldn't apologize for our stances. You guys know me. I'll be on the tip of the spear. I'll be out in front. So if you want somebody to get the hits, I'll be in front of you. You can hide behind me. I'll get the hits. But we've got to be faithful. We can't apologize for our stances. So number one, it's a gospel issue because the Great Commission tells us to teach believers to obey all that Jesus has commanded, including what the Bible says about life and murder and conception. Okay, second, abortion's a moral issue. We're commanded by Scripture to rescue those who cannot defend themselves or speak for themselves. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keep watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Who's being taken away to the slaughter? Who do we need to rescue from being taken away from the slaughter? Do you realize since Roe versus Wade, there have been approximately 63 million abortions in America? Who doesn't have a voice to defend themselves? Who is the most vulnerable of any person in our society? The one person that cannot speak for themselves, the unborn baby. Rescue, rescue those who are being taken to death. Proverbs 31.8 says, open your mouth for the mute. You open your, open your mouth for those that can't speak for themselves. Open your mouth for those that can't defend themselves. Open your mouth for those that are being led to the slaughter. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Have a heart of compassion to stand against abortion 
and to defend innocent life. Now let me address men today. As a godly man, you have a Christian responsibility to stand up for the innocent and be a voice of biblical justice. A godly man stands up for the innocent. A godly man stands up for the innocent. You need to lead your families in educating them about this. You need to be the spiritual leader to protect the innocent. See, what our nation needs right now, what our city needs right now, what our church needs right now, what we need right now, and this is what we need. We need strong men to stand up. And if I don't get an amen, I'm sorry. We need to have an amen there. We need strong men. We need men to stand up and be godly fathers and leaders. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 that says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. I like that in the Bible, act like men. Be strong. So it's a gospel issue. It's part of the Great Commission. It's a moral issue. But it's also, number three, a political issue. We can't escape that. If we believe what the Bible teaches about abortion, and God has placed us in the country that we live with the laws that we have, and and Christ is Lord over all, then we've got to get involved politically in this. This means that we should support equal protection laws that would abolish abortion, treat unborn just like the born when it comes to crime and protection. Listen to Isaiah 10, 1 through 2. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from injustice, to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may buy their spoil and they may make the fatherless their prey. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. Woe to those Supreme Court justices back in 1973 that rendered iniquitous decree. God pronounces a woe on those that decree iniquitous decrees. So we need to work in our nation to turn aside iniquitous, sinful decrees, sinful laws. So this means getting involved, signing petitions. After the service, you can go out there. The the ladies from the Caring Pregnancy Center will explain the petition that we're trying to get on for Colorado. That means voting. That means contacting your state representative. Let's talk about adoption and foster care. One of the arguments you often hear from the pro-abortion people is this. You guys care a lot about the unborn baby, but after it's born, we don't care about them. You don't care what happens to it after it's born. Well, let me just remind you, there are roughly 800,000 abortions a year in the U.S. 800,000 abortions. Do you know how many adoptions there are every year? or 15,000. 15,000 adoptions every year, 800,000 abortions. You know how many children are in the foster care system in America? 600,000 children. So one of the tangible ways you can get involved, and this involves prayer, is foster care, adoption, getting involved in these types of things. Now, allow me to give you some resources. Locally, we're very thankful for the Caring Pregnancy Center. We're doing the baby bottle campaign 
They're coming in like crazy. If you got one more week, you can still get those out there. But we want to promote the Caring Pregnancy Center because that's something that, that happens right here in, in Logan County, in our northeastern area, that will impact families right here. So that, that's the most tangible way you can be involved is by getting involved in the Caring Pregnancy Center. Let me also give you two great organizations that you can go get information. One is called End Abortion Now. Um, www.endabortionnow.com. They've got a lot of video clips. It's a church. It's, a, it's Apologia Church out in um, um, Phoenix, Arizona. They have a lot of YouTube clips, a lot of man on the street stuff, a lot of apologetic stuff, just a lot of great resources on End Abortion Now. And there's some information out there on the table. Another great resource is the Foundation to Abolish Abortion. Um, this organization is led by a Baptist attorney in Texas. And he works to introduce bills all across the country that would abolish abortion. And so those are two really good just resources that you can kind of be a starting place to kind of help you understand how the, the issue of abortion, how to get involved, maybe on, on, on like in a bigger picture. I also have a pamphlet out there called The Five-Minute Pro-Lifer. The Five-Minute Pro-Lifer. It's more of an apologetic, it's more of a philosophical, it doesn't use a lot of Bible verses, it's more like a logical, like to trap somebody up logically, but there's a five-minute pro-lifer out there. There's also a little pamphlet called, Are You an Abolitionist? from Free the States, um, you know, wanting to abolish abortion. Um, And then also, I have a bunch of DVDs out there. You can also get this on YouTube. Many of you are familiar with Ray Comfort, the Way of the Master guy, the guy from Australia. Well, he has this video called 180. And in this video, he talks to people that are pro-choice, and after the video, they, they make a 180-degree turn and become pro-life. And so he has these man-on-the-street interviews there. So we've got those out there. So when you leave everything on that table by the two doors on the way out, you can take and then also see the ladies at the, at the, at the other table. Now, let's bring this back to Luke 18. Let's go back to Luke 18. Let me be very careful and very clear. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. God's grace is greater than all our sin. And he provides forgiveness and healing and hope for those who've had an abortion. We have a great Savior who died on the cross and rose again. And no one is beyond the reach of his amazing grace. Hear that. No one is beyond the reach of God's amazing grace. He loves you. He forgives. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see in this passage, Jesus says that we need to receive the kingdom like a child. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does it mean to receive the kingdom like a child? What does a child have? A child has implicit faith, which means a child pretty much believes you. A child doesn't question. A child assumes that you have their best goal in mind. I've given this illustration many times before. When Aiden, our oldest son, was four years old, we played this game where he would stand on the kitchen counter and I'd stand about two feet away and I said, Aiden, why don't you jump out to me? He's like, Dad, are you going to catch me? Yeah, I'm going to catch you, Aiden. He's like, jump out, and I'd catch him. Then I'd step back a foot. Aiden, jump. You going to catch me, Daddy? I'll catch you, Aiden. He jumps out, and I grab him. I step back even further. 
Daddy, you going to catch me? I'll catch you, Aiden. Boom, he jumps back. One, one th- I, knew, I knew that was about as far back as I could get. Aiden, you want to jump to me? Daddy, are you going to catch me? Yeah, I'm going to catch you. Boom, he jumped out. Here's the point. Aiden didn't ever question my ability to catch him. What did he do? Because it was his daddy, he just jumped. Because he had faith, like a child, that I was going to catch him. That's the kind of faith that we need when it comes to Jesus. You trust him at his word. You believe him. You have that childlike faith that says, I'm just going to give my entire life to Christ. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust his word. I'm going to just cast myself at Jesus. I'm going to call upon his name. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the bottom line. Every single one of us in this room needs forgiveness and the love of Jesus. Whether you've had an abortion or not, whether you've gone to church your entire life or it's your first time here today, whether you think you're a good person and you think you've, you've done the Ten Commandments or you're a spiritual person, no matter who's here today, every single one of us has sinned against a holy God and we need His love and forgiveness. And not one of us is beyond His reach of grace, His reach of forgiveness. We're all guilty. And like I often say, I'm a great sinner, but we have a great Savior. We're all great sinners, but we have a great Savior. So will we all cast ourselves at His mercy and understand these truths? Would we be faithful to the Bible? Would we be a voice to the voiceless? Would our hearts break for the wickedness done in our nation? Will we cry out in prayer to our Lord for revival and spiritual awakening? And would we be faithful to teach all that he's commanded? The parts we don't like, the parts we like. We take Jesus at his word with childlike faith. We don't question, we believe it because God says it. And in the end, to him be all the glory. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. I'm sure how this message landed this morning, and only you in your sovereignty know. But I can't help but think that there may be some in this room that are struggling with thoughts, struggling with ideas, struggling with sin. And Lord, I want us to leave this day with hope the hope of forgiveness, the hope of love, the hope of salvation. So Lord, would you take this opportunity to do a great work in people's lives that need to cry out to you. Lord, help us to get on our faces and be a people of prayer for those that don't have a voice, to be a voice for the voiceless. Lord, help us to weep Help us to get involved. Help us to do what we can. Help us to stand strong on these truths, Lord, in a culture that that really hates these truths. Lord, help us to do it with compassion, understanding, but Lord, help us to stand strong on the truth. Lord, it's a very difficult topic. It's an emotional topic. There's a lot of things that are involved. 
but we come before you to surrender to your lordship and to your word as the ultimate authority. It's not what we think. It's not our opinion. It's what your word says. So, Lord, we do specifically pray for a caring pregnancy center here in Sterling and Yuma and Holyoke and Brush and all the places that it is around northeastern Colorado. Lord, we pray for the volunteers. We pray for those young women that are getting helped, that they can receive the help they need and the love they need and the resources they need. Lord, help us to be active. Lord, help us to raise more money this year than we ever did with the baby bottle campaign. Lord, help us to be active in sharing our faith, being, being not, not afraid to be silent on this. Lord, help us to get involved in the political process if that's what you call us to do. Lord, show us how we can be faithful to your truth. Help us to be a voice for the voiceless. Help us to promote the sanctity of human life. Help us to honor you and glorify you in all that we do. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.